Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Also, a special welcome to our visitors. If you're here for the first time or if you've been here for a while and never got to fill out a, a card, it's on the back table. It's our way of getting in contact with you or sharing prayer requests. Or if you have any questions for us, please uh, fill that out. Uh, we have prayer tonight at 7 p.m. Um, every Sunday we have uh, corporate prayer, and it's a, it's a great time to come and praise the Lord for what he's doing and seek him for our supplications. So we encourage you to come out for that time. On Wednesday, we have our midweek study. We're in the book of Exodus. And Saturday at 9 a.m., men, we have our uh, study time. We have uh, where we're opening up the word of studying Nehemiah. And uh, so we encourage men come out it's such a great time to encourage exhort one another 
VBS is coming up. And um, in two weeks, uh, right after service, I'd like everybody to stay because we're going to have, I just told the drama and music now, give them a heads up. We're going to have a little display of what's coming during that week. Uh, music, uh, they can do a few songs, and uh, drama can give us a little skit. And we're going to uh, then touch base, um, make sure everything's in order that week. So uh, encourage everybody to stay and see what's coming for that week. A teen event. Uh, today at 3.30, they meet here. Uh, they're going to Helping Hands in Harrisburg. And... Uh, so anybody who wants to go along for the volunteer, please come at 3.30. Singles Adult Ministry, they're having a picnic on July 28th at 5 p.m. at Cindy's house. And our next weekday prayer walk is actually going to be during our uh, Thursday night going door to door. So I uh, encourage you to come out. I think we, we've almost uh, uh, knocked on 700 doors, so we have 300 more to go. So uh, God is... We just pray that God is doing amazing things, uh, and they do come to the VBS or the picnic or just come and hear what God's word has to say for them. Thank you. Would you all please stand for the first song, and then you can sit or stand as you feel it. Lord, we come today, and we're so grateful that we get to, to be here, Lord, and just to worship you. And God, I just, it blows me away that we were able to, to do that, Lord that you created us to worship you. That's our purpose, Lord. And all the other things, Lord, sometimes they're just distractions. And, and yes, we get to serve in other ways and we get to serve each other and that's such a blessing, Lord. But our purpose is to know you, Lord, and to worship you. And so God, I just ask this morning that you ready our hearts. Lord, help us to only think on you, Lord, and only on your glory and, and who you are, Lord. In your name we pray, amen.
of fear in our souls I say there is king over all in Jesus I say there is king over
so much thank you for the time we have to come before you to worship your holy name lord as pastor comes before us to give us your word i pray that you would open our hearts and, and plant that word deep in our souls that as we go through trials as we come across things that just don't feel good they're not comfortable and we're just not happy lord we know and recognize that you are sovereign that you are holy and perfect, and you have everything in your hands. Lord, we pray that your word minister to each and every one of our hearts. Lord, that you would make us more and more like you. In your holy name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may greet one another. All right. Good morning, everyone. So good to see you. See all of your smiling faces and... Frowns as well, I'll take it all. Just happy here. Just happy you're here to sit under the word of God and just even right now, you know, we know his spirit is present among us. We know he's gonna just wash our minds with his word today and how how we look forward to that. I I look forward to that. So just excited, anticipating how God and his spirit moves through our hearts here this morning. Please open your Bibles to Acts chapter twenty-one. Acts chapter 21, where in the home stretch, we finished, uh, well, with Paul. We've been with him on his three missionary journeys. We concluded his last missionary journey there in chapter 20, really, at, towards the end there. He's leading the Ephesian elders, right? He had been speaking with them, and, and now he's going to be taking leave of them. He's making his way to Jerusalem because he wanted to be there for the day of Pentecost, and so he's been making haste to get there. And I don't know about you. I think we can relate to Paul in this. As we're making haste often, it seems like things continue to pop up in our, in our path, in our direction as we're trying to, uh, you know, expedily try to get somewhere. Uh, it seems like, uh, I don't know. I, I sometimes think I have a traffic bug. I don't know what it is, but I get on the road and I'm driving and I, you know, I wake up a little early. I leave a little bit early. I have my time with the Lord in the morning. And then I inevitably... Uh, get behind the traffic jam for the morning, wherever it is. I just seem to, my GPS routes me there. And, and the, Lord, um, the Lord is saying, you prayed for patience. I'm going to give you patience. So he, he's faithful. He's always faithful in every single situation. But um, much like Paul, he had longed to get down to Jerusalem. He had longed for some time now well, for multiple purposes. One, he wanted to go back because his heart had been to be with the brothers and 
you know, like that in Jerusalem, but also because he had been taking a collection and an offering uh, from some of the different Christian churches. That is, he was making his way back to, you know, the home church like that in Jerusalem. He was going to be given this. And he had ambassadors with him, those men that had been traveling with him, to all the works that the, really God had been doing in the, the Gentile Christian, the church like that, the early church. And so I'm sure much like you and I, you know, we, I don't know about you, I, I come in many times in the morning and, you know, our offering, my love offering, it's a form of worship, and I, and I look, and I, I get excited about it, and I take serious what Jesus says. Don't let my left hand know what my right hand's doing. Or right. You know, I don't want to think about it that way. I just, okay, Lord, it's unto you. It's for your glory, and you, know, you, you do that. And I can't help but thinking Paul was excited. He had seen God move miraculously in planting all these churches and doing all these works, and, and he wanted to come back, and he was, he was so excited to tell everybody in Jerusalem, look what the Lord has been doing. Our God is moving mightily. And it's the same way that I know Bill and, and, you know, we all just, many of you meant you went out and you were, you know, going and evangelizing, being faithful that way to our neighbors and the community to tell them about Jesus Christ. And you come back with your wonderful testimonies and story. You know, the Lord allowed this prayer. He opened the door here. And that's the heart that Paul has here as we move into chapter 21. He's leaving Miletus, and he's moving, you know, or meeting, and he's going to be headed to Kos there. And that's where it picks up. So let's bow our heads. Let's pray this morning, and we'll pick right up with verse 1 in chapter 21. Father God, thank you, Lord, for bringing us here. God, thank you for this wonderful example through Scripture, God. You inspired this, this man, Paul, Lord, who, Lord, he will recount the steps he's taken, God, as he comes to Jerusalem here, Lord. And I imagine... Lord, ultimately leading to his arrest, Lord. He's going to think about all the similarities to the last time he was there. And when there was a massive riot that occurred, Lord. It was, Lord, when he was Saul of Tarsus. Lord, he was on the other side this time, at that time, Lord. He, he was the one collecting the garments or allowing the garments to be laid at his feet as Stephen, the first Christian martyr, was stoned, Lord. But now he finds himself in that very place here. And God, what you did in that man, God, what you desire to do in every one of us here, in our hearts this morning, to create such a burning love and, and, and fire for you, Lord, that there would be no looking back. There would be a full surrender, a rest in your just perfect will, God. To live is Christ, to die is gain, Lord, you told us. Lord, as we study this, as we examine this this morning, transform our hearts, Lord, more like your son, Jesus. Lord, Paul, as you know, you inspired him through your Holy Spirit. He was following in the, following in the steps, Lord, of your son. Because right after, right after that, Lord, we know that he'll be imprisoned in Rome. And Lord, many of the... Uh, Great epistles you've given us in this word, the prison epistles, Lord, come from that time. It's through some of our loneliest, Lord, some of our greatest tribulations and trials, Lord, where you do the greatest work in us. Will you do that here this morning? We pray for boldness, Lord. Just as they 2,000 years ago prayed for boldness. We want that same boldness this morning. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.
Amen. All right. Well, chapter 21, it begins, Now it came to pass that when he had departed, and we'll talk a little bit about the Greek, we'll exegete that word in a moment here, from them and set sail, running a straight course, we came to cause the following day to Rhodes and from there to Patra, or Patera, excuse me, right? And finish, or excuse me, and finding a ship, sailing over to Phoenicia and went aboard to set sail. So Paul clearly making his trip. He's getting ready to get on the road. But it's interesting here. It starts off when he departed. This more literally means a tearing away in the Greek. This isn't simply a, we've said our goodbyes. As we know, Paul had already been crying. He had already been remorsing about leaving them. And they too had wept on Paul's neck and embraced him. But now what we're seeing is a tearing. That's what the Greek tells us. This is not comfortable. Paul does not want to leave these men, these Ephesian elders. His heart is with them. But he knows his heart's with the living God even more. And so there's this tearing himself, and it says we. It's not just Paul, it's Luke and all those traveling companions that have been with Paul. As they've been traveling and watching, they're going to be parting this way, and this parting wasn't easy. I mean, Paul poured his, his love into these elders in Ephesus, right? And, and they loved him deeply in return. And cause, I mean, this is a very prominent city. Many of you may know it in, in history, you know, um, Hippocrates. Some of you have heard of Hippocrates, right? In the 5th century BC, this is where he planted his medical school, was in Kos. This is that area. It was a prominent city, well known. And this is where he's going to be traveling sort of through on his way, on his journey. And it's part of the Decanese or Diocanese, depending on how you want to pronounce it, islands, which is southeast of the Aegean Sea. Okay? Just kind of getting your... Sort of, I could say, your territory down. You kind of know where it's at. And then it says that they sailed to Rhodes and then to Patera, and they keep moving further east. Why? What's east? Jerusalem. They're going to have to cross over a Mediterranean. Right now, what their trip is, if you were looking at it, is they're coming down the coastline. They're, well, I should say it's this way because they're going east, so they're on the west side. They're coming down the coastline. Is that right for you? Yeah. So they're coming down the coastline and they're going to make their way over. They're going to eventually cross over the sea that way. And that's what we're going to read here in verse 3 and 4 because as they move to Tyre, they now have to cross over. When he had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left and sailed to Syria and landed in Tyre. For there the ship was to unload her cargo. And just coincidentally, right? I mean, do you see this with me? And finding disciples... We stayed there seven days. They, they told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. Right? So he, once again, he's getting that warning. But I, I, I think that warning's an encouragement. I'll explain that as we keep going. So they moved through this, this coastline, and they're going to set sea. This would be about a five-day journey to cross over, okay, this area here, landing at Tyre. And then when they get there, they find these disciples and we're not told how this church was planted in Tyre. Nowhere in scripture do we have that in church tradition. We really don't have that. Even in the early church fathers, we don't seem to understand how this church, but I think the fact that it shows us that there's disciples there once again communicates that there was far more, far more going on than what we see captured just in the book of Acts. Are you with me on that? That there was more going on. God was doing a great work and we have maybe just a, a captioning of it here. 
So much more being done in this area. And they told Paul through the spirit, right? Not to go up to Jerusalem. Apparently among those disciples entire, some were prophets or prophetesses, men and or women that way, that were prophets. And in the spirit, right? They said, hey, there's danger that awaits you there, Paul, when you go to Jerusalem. And we've seen he's been warned about that before. If you look in, you know, Acts chapter 20, look at verse 22. And see now, I go bound in the spirit. Why was he going? Because the Holy Spirit commanded him to go. He was bound in the spirit, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. So this wasn't new to Paul. He had already known that, and he'd already been given prophecy that there were danger, there were things awaiting Paul as he was traveling, and yet he was making haste to get there. Because he knew when he was in the will of the Lord, there's no sweeter place to be. And then he says in verse 23, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that the chains and tribulations await me. He knew. He knew what awaited him. You see, this specific warning not to go up to Jerusalem was really an interpretation. An interpretation of what was going to happen, what was going to await him that way. I mean, it was prophesied, but notice that they're going to, as we keep reading, they're going to turn around and say, don't do it, Paul. You know, I, I bring that up because as the Lord was showing me this, as I was reading and I was, you know, praying in the spirit that way, often in times we get leadings by the Holy Spirit or by our Lord. We test, we test everything in the light of scripture, don't we? You know, we don't have special and, you know, Holy Spirit antennas that, you know, we hear everything correctly the first time and we get it all right. We, we test everything in the light of scripture to find what is true and profitable, right? What is sound and based on what the scriptures, you know, communicate to us, we obey and be obedient just as, as Paul will hear. Sometimes when we get a word from the Lord that way, some of you know what I'm talking about, you've read your scriptures, you get a word from the Lord, sometimes there's this human interpretation that ends up going with it. And what do I mean by that? I mean, we, we know the Lord says, I want you to go here, or this is what I have for you, and we might share it with a brother or sister, and all of a sudden the brother and sister says, you know what, don't go, don't do that. You know, look how this is going to end. It's not going to end well for you. Now, whose wisdom is that? man's, not God. That's what we see happening here. And what does Paul do? Does Paul listen and even give ear to the man's wisdom that's being shared right after the word of knowledge that had been just given to him, Holy Spirit inspired? No. Paul remembers what God had given him, and we already read in chapter 20, verse 22. Again, I will say it. I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem. He stays the course. He doesn't move to the left. He doesn't move to the right, regardless of what awaits him, regardless of what he thinks he understands, regardless of what other people are telling him. He stays the course. And that's our calling too. This is a beautiful example of that for us, of what it looks like to, to just stay in the walk with the Lord on that narrow path and not give way to following a crowd not give way to following an individual or listening to somebody else's wisdom, but solely relying on the word of the Lord and his still small voice to guide you. That's what it looks like in scripture. Now, some have said, well, you know, 
he doesn't this show that he was sort of disobedient there because he's still going even after the Holy Spirit testified that these chains and tribulations await him in Jerusalem. And as Paul would say in his vernacular, certainly not, right? Paul loved to say that, certainly not, as we read his epistles. No, because as we already mentioned in verse 22, it says he was bound in the spirit to go to Jerusalem. And it reminds me of Jesus because Jesus too knew what awaited him in Jerusalem didn't he? The cross, his suffering, his death. He knew what awaited him, the scourging, all of it. But he set his face to go. And Paul did the same thing. We we read that about Jesus in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. It's the same thing. Regardless of what awaits you, the cross before you, the world behind you, no looking back. You know, no looking back. Verse 5, When we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way, and they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city, and we knelt down on the shore and prayed. This is very interesting. You got to remember, first century customs here. This is different in the culture in the first century. When we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship, and they returned home. So it says, we departed and went our way, despite, again, the heartfelt pleas of the Christians entire here, Paul and his group did not turn away from going to Jerusalem. He was persuaded it was God's will, so he pressed on. I like that. And it says, they all accompanied us till we were out of the city. The practice of walking with a a traveler to the outskirts of the city was actually culturally common at that time. This wouldn't have been uh, unreasonable. This wouldn't have been something unique. This was common in the first century that when you had a guest or you were a host or somebody was with you like that, you would walk them to the outskirts to where they would be leaving. I remember when we went to Central America on a missions trip a few years back, uh, David and I went and we were there and uh, it was interesting. A lot of the times when you would stay with a tribe in that area, they would walk you or kind of protect you, so to speak, to a certain point of where you got to that neutral area between one tribe and the next tribe's uh, uh, demarcation, you know, I don't know what to call it, demark zone, where it's kind of neutral ground. And as you would get to that next place, the tribe or the leader or the people that were there, they would come up and they would welcome you. They would take you in. Now, something really fascinating when, when I was in to learn the culture there, um, if you're in that neutral zone, and you're not expected on one side or expected on the other, you're fair game, man. Anything can happen. So it, it's a blessing culturally to have it when you have that escort like that. And that's what we see here culturally. They were going to literally escort. But we see something that isn't common, okay? This is not common in the first century church, really. And that is when they got down to this shore or this beach, they, it says we knelt down and we prayed, This is uniquely Christian. We have no example of where the Jews would have done this or any other type of culture in that area where they would go down and as the ship was boarding and the people are leaving, they got on their knees. Now, that's not uniquely Christian. We know James called him camel knees because his knees had been so swollen and buckled from all the times he would get on his his knees to pray like that. That's not uniquely Christian, but what was uniquely Christian was the way that before they took their, their, the rest of their voyage, their journey, that they stopped and prayed, God lead us. And don't we do that very thing today culturally? 
We, we say it, maybe you say it this way. I know often when my brothers or uh, sisters departing, they're going on a vacation or, or if they're going, uh, my pastor's in Germany right now. He's over there, uh, you know, uh, ministering. You might write praying for travel mercies, right? You've, you've heard of that? Travel mercies. May God give you travel mercies. May he give you a safe going and a safe return. That's uniquely Christian. That's uniquely Christian. And we see this example here. Verse 7, And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemaeus, or Ptolemaeus, greeted the brethren and stayed with them one day. Again, remember, this man is making haste to get Jerusalem, but he keeps, he's, how many days there? Seven, right? Now he's coming, here's another day. And this Ptolemaeus is the south port of the Phoenician uh, coast like that. It stretches through what is now Syria, Lebanon, and northern Israel. That's the area we're talking about. So he's getting closer, right? And it's referred in the Bible to as Acre, a spelled A-C-C-O. If you read Judges chapter 1, verse 31, it actually speaks of this. And it's about 90 minutes. I looked it up just presently. I wanted to see how it was, see, it was kind of lo- you know, located. If you look at Tiberias in that area of the Middle East and Jerusalem there, it's about 90 minutes west of that. So they're going to still travel another 90 minutes east as they're making their way more towards Jerusalem at this point, okay? And it must have been wonderful for Paul and his companions to find Christians really in virtually every city they stopped. Again, we know the Lord did that. That was just encouragement. Because I'm sure as Paul's traveling along the way, we have doubts, don't we? I mean, we want to be real. We're transparent here. We don't pretend. We don't play church. We have doubts. You don't think Paul had doubts? God, remember when he, we already read about it. I forget what chapter in Acts. It was a few chapters back when, when God had said, hey, where was it here actually? When he was departing and he said, uh, I remember it's chapter 18, verse Uh, I'm looking at now verse 9. It says, Now Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid, but speak. So we know Paul had fear. We know Paul had doubts. But God, all along the way, as he was making that trip, he was encouraging Paul. He was putting brothers around him. He was putting sisters around him, encouraging him as he was making his trip. And likewise, Paul was encouraging them. Paul, too, was encouraging them. So I, I, I think what this also explains, you know, to me is just the depths in which Christianity, the movement of Christianity, you know, Calvary Chapel is not a denomination. We're not a denomination. We're a movement of like-minded believers in Christ. And I too look at this and this, this passage shows a like-minded what? Group of believers in Christ. That's what it was like in the early church. It was a movement. It was the way. We didn't have the vision yet there. We, we saw some of that with the Judaizing, but all that hadn't crept into the church yet. There was still a purity of, to the movement, to the ways of Christ, Christ alone. So we see that, you know, sort of this movement or deepening in the Roman Empire there. Look at verse 8 with me. It says, And on the next day, we who were Paul's companions. Now, who's that talking about? Dr. Luke, right? And those that had been ambassadors from the churches that were sending uh, money to, to Jerusalem, ambassadors like that, those, folk, those groups that were them, right? It says, On the next day, we who were with 
Paul's, or we who were Paul's companions, departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. Now, what I think is remarkable, Philip the Evangelist, first of all, what a cool title, right? I mean, how are you known? You know, Matt the Evangelist, Philip the Evangelist. When you say your name, what comes after? What's the title you would put after your name? The lover of Christ, Jesus freak, any, any of the above, right? Anything would be wonderful like that. Well, it's Philip the evangelist. Remember in Acts chapter 6, we were introduced to Philip first. He was one of the seven. Remember Stephen that was martyred? Philip was one of the seven chosen there, right? And it confirms that, that that's the same Philip we're talking about here. And then in Acts chapter 8, verse 40, was the, really the last time I think we had heard about Philip. Well, Actually, there might have been one more time. I, I can't remember. But I remember we saw Philip working and bringing um, the Ethiopian eunuch to faith. Remember that? He preached the coastal region and then ended up in Caesarea. And many years later, where is he at? He's still there. He stayed the course. Just because we don't read all about all the works between chapter 8 and chapter 21 didn't mean Philip went bye-bye, right? We haven't been reading about Peter really, for the latter chapters, have we? But Peter's still an apostle doing the work of Christ. Our lives, you, me, all of us here this morning, if you're walking after Christ, you're doing the work. That's how the testimony of your life will be remembered. A lover of Jesus, not a lover of the world. What choice will you make? How do you want to be remembered? We all have a choice. We all have a choice. Will we be faithful? Even when it's not popular. Even when it's not, you know, prominent. Because the, according to the Bible, there'll come a time. And we, I think we're, you know, we saw a little bit of the, in, under the previous administration where Christians were, even in America, had started to see Pastors, I remember they were talking that we were going to have to start sending our, our sermon notes, you know, to be reviewed by a judge before we could preach. I, I know that's coming again. I'm not ignorant to that, brethren, sisters. I'm not, I'm not ignorant to that. But right now, we've been given such a beautiful time that that pause button's been pushed for us that we could reach the lost. So many Christians today are enjoying this time instead of being busy about their father's work. It's a lot easier right now to do the work of Christ when you got a little bit of an air cover, if I can say it that way, the way God's given us. But when that air cover is removed, it doesn't change our calling or election. Jesus said, and God said in his word through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, make your calling and election sure. Right? That doesn't change. This man, Philip, he made his calling and election sure. He was in Caesarea many years later. And again, what a, what a wonderful distinction and title that he's given. It, it tells us that he was known there for presenting the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and what he did for us. That's how I want to be known, right? I, I want to be known to be faithful to be faithful to handle the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm sure this is going to come up, so I'm, I'm going I'm to jump right to it before I get the questions at the end of service. 
Pastor, question for you. Are we all called to be evangelists like that? Well, the scripture mandate that every believer should evangelize? I hope to suggest to you this morning and contend with you the answer is yes. And I'm going to give you four reasons in particular. And if you're taking notes, I, I pray you go back and be Bereans. You search out the scriptures and you see what the Lord shows to you on this. I believe the commands to witness are given to all followers of Jesus Christ. We just hold your finger here. Turn back to Acts chapter 1 verse 8 right at the beginning of Acts. Right? Acts chapter 1 verse 8. The first Really, the first, the commands that were given to the followers of Christ read, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. <laughs> this is our Jerusalem. If you live in the Harrisburg area and the West Shore, this is your Jerusalem. Your Judea might be going out past Hershey, right? Your Samaria might be, you know, somewhere further than that. I don't know. Lincolnshaw, as you make your way out, maybe York, right? And past that area. But what's your other parts or end parts of the earth, right? To the end of the earth. What is that? What's the translation of that in the Greek? To the end of the earth, right? It's the same thing. It means until and as the Lord shows you. There is no limiter, you notice that? Jesus Christ didn't put a delimiter on it. He didn't limit it in any way. I love that. He says that this verse is a command given by the risen Lord. This is our risen Lord at this point. And he gave this to us as followers of Jesus Christ. And he's not grammatically challenged. He meant what he said. He said what he meant. What about other verses? Well, we don't have time to go through all of them this morning. But Matthew chapter 5, if you're taking notes, verses 14 through 16. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. 1 Peter 3, 15. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. And finally, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. I encourage you to go back and look at those scriptures. Every single one of them testify that we are to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about evangelio or evangel... If you want to say it, evangelizo minoi in the Greek, if you want to say it accurately. It means evangelist. Minoi. You and I. We're evangelists. Second, the example of an ordinary believer right? In the early church. Let's talk about that. If you think about it, the example of ordinary believers in the early church as we've been following along the account here, obviously the apostles, what did they sought to do? To evangelize and then to disciple, right? That's, that's what we see the early church did, Acts 2.42. That's what the early church looks like. Hey, and just, just so everybody knows what the pastor of this church and Jesus Christ, the shepherd of this church has shown me to do, guess what we're to do? evangelize and disciple. We got nothing new. We got nothing new here. We're just following the course of scripture as God has commanded us. There's nothing new under the sun that way. We don't look for some new way to do it. We trust God through the leading of his Holy Spirit to touch the hearts of young people, of middle-aged people, and of people that are just getting warmed up in their 90s, right? 
It's God who does the work. It's not us who, who lathers it up. It's not us who, who sometimes, you know, creates a frame and tries to frame it in a way that people can reach. That's not our job. I'm not in the job of micromanaging the Holy Spirit. I'll screw it up. I will. I'll mess it up bad. But Jesus won't. He can reach everyone down to that little tyke all the way up, like I said. And he knows exactly how to do it. And he doesn't need a program. He doesn't need a bait and switch. He doesn't need me to be culturally relevant. He needs me to preach truth. And his Holy Spirit does the rest. Amen? So as we look at this, I think of ordinary believers sharing the gospel and really paying or counting the cost. That's Stephen. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Right? There was a great persecution in the church in Jerusalem. They were scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. They were still kept there. So you had a diaspora, a diaspora. You had a scattering. Every single time, you go back historically and look at this. It's wonderful. It's amazing. Every single time there was tribulation brought to the early church, it spread like wildfire. It didn't, it didn't you know, contract and get weak and small. No, it was, through under the, it was through the oppression. It was through the affliction that we see the Christianity go out because people understood and were counting the cost and they drew near to Jesus for just their daily breath. They, they, weren't, they weren't trying to hold on to do something. They weren't in a comfortable ease. They were just trying to stay alive and they knew what their calling and election was. Every single time throughout history, go look at it. And what did those ordinary believers do? Again, Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching and teaching. Evangelizo minoi in the Greek. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the word. That's what they did. They were evangelists. They were disciple makers. They were reproducers. Healthy sheep reproduce. You want an example of this? We're a young, small church, been around, what, three years in December, three years Sunday. We just moved to a new building, so we had more room. We didn't advertise, other than maybe on Hope FM, hey, we're here if you want to. But we didn't, we didn't do any marketing plans. We didn't put a five-year prospectus together and how to reach the Christian in this area based on what they're you know, living, breathing, where they live. In the no, you know what we did? Jesus, we love and are willing to die for the people in this area, Lord. Draw them in that they may hear your word and be set free. And if it costs us our lives, so be it, Jesus. Your will be done. Amen? And that's what you are. You're disciple makers. You have the word of God. Nothing and no one can ever take that from you. You have victory. You are taught by Jesus in his word. You, you won't be easily persuaded away from true doctrine with itching ears based on what men want to hear or women want to hear to draw them away as in the end times as it was prophesied would happen. That won't be you. How can I say that? Because you have the word of God and unless you choose to lay that down to follow your own wisdom, you'll be the remnant. Until such a time as the rapture occurs, the harpazo, and Jesus will call us home and we'll be looking down from the mezzanines. Amen? That's what God has given us, a victory in Christ. That's what victory means. It doesn't mean we won't have oppression, affliction, or tribulation. It just means during it, we understand what's happening. 
And we're not caught off guard. We're prepared. We've got our, our marching orders. We're good Christian soldiers. We've counted the cost. The third, if you're taking notes here, the stewardship of the gospel that the gospel itself imposes on us. Jesus reminds us in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, everyone to whom much is given, much is required. What gift have you been given? No greater gift in all of the world. The word of God. We're in, living in a time where we have not only the whole counsel of God, but even the understanding, whether through early church fathers, commentaries, 1948, May 15th, I think it is, watching Israel come in, into their land, Ezekiel 37, fulfilled dry bones coming out, as we talked about during our prophecy update. As we've been watching all this, not only are we wording, seeing the word of the, ap let's get this right, not only are we watching the word happen, but we're seeing its application. We're actually seeing the prophecy come true. We're seeing these things happen before us. We're living in a time like no other. It's amazing what God's doing. It's the stewardship. We've been given this. 2 Corinthians 5.14 tells us, for the love of Christ controls us. It controls us. And I would say to you the fourth thing, and that's in Ephesians chapter 4. Just this week I was with a brother and I had an opportunity to share Ephesians 4 with him. Considering what Paul calls the work of the ministry. In this chapter, Paul notes different offices. If you want to turn to chapter 4 real quick, you can in your Bibles, as I sort of just mentioned this. He says, some are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and or shepherds, and or teachers. These are all sort of different offices he breaks it out. And he declares part of the reason that God gives gifts to the church or to such leaders is so they'll do what? Equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's what he says right there. You can read it. In verse 12, equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up, the exhortation, the building up of what? The body of Christ. That's what the gospel also does. So that's why I said we're reproducers, even one to another through discipleship. We're to be encouraging each other that way. And I think Ephesians 4 gives a challenge to pastors. Humbly, I, I look at this and I say, am I training through the inspiration of the shepherd, the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, am I training those for the work of the ministry? Am I, am I training people to do evangelism? Am I training them to be evangelists? And I look at Bill and others, and recently, we've had many opportunities, and we still have more. We've gone out to 700 houses. We have 300 more to go out to be faithful to do that. And some of you are like, I, man, I don't, I'm, I'm afraid. I don't want to go just knock on someone's door. I'm, I'm afraid. But God, what are you afraid of? I'm more afraid of not doing what God's called us to do than to, do, than to worry about what somebody's going to look and go, sorry, we, we don't want that. We're, we're not interested in that. You know what real love is? Real love is to look at them gently with compassion and say, are you sure you understand what you're saying? How could you not have it? It's Jesus. It's a personal relationship. And I think it's, brings up the question is, are we setting an example for our own personal evangelism? You know, some people run from this idea because it, they think it means that they have to be obnoxious. You know what I mean? Or pushy. You ever had somebody do that? They come up and Bible thump you? You know, and they like wind up, you know, like, like they're gonna, you know. That's not how Christ did it. 
you're probably tired of hearing me say it, but it was the fullness of truth and the fullness of compassion or grace. It wasn't one without the other. It's like you can't compare it. It's not like a pepperoni pizza where there's a balance. You have the right amount of cheese and you have the right amount of pepperoni that way, right? You knew I was going to go to a food example. I'm a foodie. You knew I was going there. I'm Italian. That's what I do. So, you, you, you know, you, it's not like that. There is no such thing as balance. That's the wrong word. Throw that out of your vocabulary. Some people, you know, when they're, when they're new Christians or they're walking that faith, they're having an identity crisis because they don't understand what it is. I'm a Christian living in a fallen world, but now I can, you know, I was blind, but now I can see. What do I do about it? Well, you, you evangelize omino. You, you evangelize. You disciple make. You love on them. You draw them and you encourage them. Well, what if they don't like me? Oh, my. I wonder if Jesus went before he was ending the city and, you know, because I know he wept. What if they don't like me, God? Father, no. What did our Lord do? He wept because he said, how I want to draw you into me. Like little chicklets, like little, my children. And yet, because of you rejecting me, I'm going to become the chief corn. You know, you rejected me. I mean, you think about how Jesus responded to that. He, he wasn't afraid. And yet it tells us he was tempted in all ways as we have been tempted. Right? It, it's not as though, um, you know, I don't know, maybe I'll say it another way. Telling people about Jesus isn't pushy. It's real love. That's what real love looks like. And again, how we do it, you're not winding up. Now, just concluding this one section, I mean, this man had four virgins and, and, and daughters that way, and they prophesied. And according to the ancient records, according to F.F. F. Bruce, I was reading his um, commentary on this, it says the daughters, or at least some of them, lived to a great age and were highly esteemed as informants, in other words, able to give prophecy, on persons and events belonging to the early years of the Judean Christianity. In other words, Dad, Philip, he was a faithful man. And because he taught the word of God in his home, his children, his daughters, they grew up to be faithful after him. Guys, ladies, more is caught than taught. More is caught than taught. Do your children, do your spouse, does your neighbor, do people see that you take an active interest in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ? More is caught than taught. What are they, you know, they're going to form an opinion based on that. Well, verse 10. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus, we haven't seen that dude in a while, he came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, when he heard these things, both we and those, interesting, Paul's companions again, that place, you know, in that place, pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem. Even his close companions began to now add on to the prophecy of what God said, or should I say the interpretation of that prophecy. Paul, don't go. Then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm not read only to... For I am, not, I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. 
So when he would, and I love this because it shows the example of doing the right thing in Christ. So when he would not be persuaded, we cease saying, so they began to say, the Lord or the will of the Lord be done. Isn't that beautiful? The will of the Lord be done. So let's, let's take a step back. Agabus, back from uh, chapter 11, verse 27. He had foretold the famine in the days of Claudius. And what he does here is, if you've been with us in the Old Testament, and I know we're just in Exodus, but as we make our way through, especially as we get to the prophets, the major and minor prophets, we'll see often, I think of Ezekiel, I think of Jeremiah, I think of others, they had what was called action sermons. Probably remember in your reading, maybe some of you have been in the Old Testament. And so what Agabus actually does here is he takes this belt that Paul had been wearing, right? He puts it around his hands and his legs like that, showing that he would be bound, it's an action sermon. And then he basically says, and the, you know, the owner of this belt, this too is going to happen to you. Now, to you and I as, as Gentile Christians, if you're a Gentile Christian like that, we might be like, oh, okay, that's great. You know, you just, I can do drama. Everybody likes drama. We do drama, right? But in the context of that time, for the Jews, this was very meaningful. Because they had been reading the prophets. They had been studying the Old Testament prophets. And as they watched this this prophet here, Agabus, act these things out through a sermon, an action sermon. They began to look at this and they began to recognize what truly is awaiting them. You know, and all along the way, hadn't God already been communicating that? Now, again, the prophecy of Agabus was true. We'll read that and we'll know that it was true. And it was generally from the Holy Spirit. But once again, they added a human application. They pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem. This was not from the Lord. This was an additional word based on man's wisdom added to this. Otherwise, Paul would have been disobedient, right? If this was true, and we know it wasn't because we already said that he was bound to go to Jerusalem. And what's so marking to me is even Dr. Luke had been with him for much of his third missionary journey. Even, you know, found him on his second missionary journey there originally. To see these men that had walked with Paul for seven, eight plus years. And they too began to question and doubt. They too began to wonder. And instead of trusting God, and look, we're all guilty of this, right? I'm not, I'm not trying to throw them down like that. or I'm just pointing it out. We have to be really careful who we listen to. Even if it's our best friend, even if it's our wife, our husband, whoever. If they're going against or contradicting what the word of God says, we need to take a stand. We need to take a stand on the truth. I don't care if it's your mother, your father, whoever. You stand in truth. You don't compromise. Even if it's what you don't want to hear. I'm sure Paul wasn't like, yeah, man, I can't wait to be bound. Right? No. Right? Of course not. As I mentioned before, this wasn't the first time. I think this we see a custom, if I can say it that way, of God. I never will say a pattern, but I will say a custom. In Acts chapter 20, verses 22, we saw it. In Acts chapter you know, 21 here in Tyre, we're seeing it in verse 4. God gave Paul a word, and he continues to confirm it three times. Right? He told him, you would suffer back in chapter uh, 20 there, right? You would suffer change and tribulations. Do you ever look for God to do that? Some people say, Pastor, can I do that? Is, that? is that, am I like doubting if I do that? Am I putting a fleece out like Gideon? No. 
If you turn around and you hear a word from the Lord, I often encourage, especially if you're, you're praying about a big decision in your life, I encourage you, go back to the word of God and talk to your father who's in heaven, who desires to hear you and give good gifts and meet with you like that, and ask him, Lord, confirm this in your word. You know, we did that very thing. I, I've, I've, in my life as a Christian, I have watched God 100% of the time fulfill this very promise. This very promise of confirmation of his word. Before my bride and I, Lisa, before we came down here, we had prayed, Lord, okay, he gave me Ezekiel too. All right, I'm gonna bring you there to teach. Okay, praise God. All right, Lord, that's your, that's your, that's your will. Be done. And then Joshua 1.9, when I was crossing over, they told us when we were supposed to move. Lord, are you sure? Not only I, we, we asked that, are you sure? What happens? Not only that, but then my son Preston comes up and goes, Dad, the Lord gave me a word. And that was the exact passage or a similar passage to what he'd given us. I can't tell you how many times the Lord has spoken to my wife or bride, and I have said nothing to her about it. I've simply said, God, if this is your will, and you're going to you know, uproot our whole family, we're going to move like this, we don't know anybody there, we're going to do all that. Lord, you need to confirm this in my bride's heart, in my helpmate's heart. Didn't even say anything to her. And she comes out and says, you know what? The Lord showed me with this. When I was driving back, when I had come out down here one time to spy out the land about four or five, four and a half years ago. Notice I said spy out the land. So I had come down, I went to Harrisburg and downtown and I was talking, I remember I met these different guys and you know, we're, we're gonna kind of close with them. Um, this today. So I, I met these guys down in Harrisburg and I go up and I'm talking to some of these folks and a couple people came out with me and we're, we're evangelizing and talking. And uh, this guy comes up and he, and he starts talking to me about how he believes in spaceships and aliens and how all this stuff, right? And I'm like, wow, okay. Um, you know, so I said, Jesus loves you because that doesn't change the message regardless of, you know, the mothership and all that. So, um, you know, I, I didn't know where to go with it, just went with it. So, um, he actually said, I'm not sure that there is a God. He proceeded to tell me, and he says, well, I, I think that there's, you know, like this alien thing. And so I was like, well, now you've gone too far, right? We, we, we can't, we can't, there's no common, commonality, right? There's no, I, I don't know what to do now. There's no bridge. There's no building the bridge. Okay. So I, I'm going through all this. I'm like, Lord, what, what am I supposed to do, right? So I go up, and uh, Pastor Randy Moser, many of you know him. He lives in, you know, the Chambersburg area. He, he, he pastors a church down in, uh, Calvary Chapel down in, um, Hagerstown. And so I, he was out at the campground. So he said, hey, stay at my house. You know, be blessed here, you know, as your spinal. Thank you. So praise the Lord. So I'm staying there that night. I call my, I better go get something to eat. I go out. This woman I'm meeting, she's, she must goes into like a diabetic. I'm not a doctor, nurse, as you guys know. Whatever you call it, a diabetic, a diabetic situation, whatever it might be. And she turns around and she begins to fall to the ground. And she looks at me and she goes, Pastor, she doesn't know me from Adam. I'm like, do I have Pastor Mendel? Do I have something on my shirt? I don't know. And so I go back there. I begin praying with her. Her husband comes out. She's on the ground and I've got her in my hands. I'm thinking, this is not going to end well, right? And it's at this pizzeria place. I'm, this happened. So I've got her. I'm like, what? And so he comes over to me. He goes, my neighbor has cancer. Will you, be, will you pray for her right now too? Or him right now too? And I'm like, Lord, what is going on? Because in my heart, I'm praying, God, if you place a calling on my life, do you want me to do this, Lord? Are you sending me down here? And what was God being faithful to do? Confirm every single step for me. Now, 
I get in the car, drive five hours back. Not that night. I slept over. Next day, I come back, saying nothing else to my wife about the trip. I had visited some other Calvary Chapel pastors here, wanted to encourage them. They wanted to encourage me, wanted to make sure they weren't already sending somebody out to this area, don't want to step on another man's work, as Scripture says. So I go back to Rochester, New York, where I'm from. I'm driving back. As I get back, I walk into the, we had an old farmhouse in 1918, something like that, farmhouse. We walk into the kitchen. My bride is at the sink. Food's coming, right? No. My bride is at the sink. She's standing there. She's weeping, but I can't see that she's weeping. I walk in the house, and she's got her back to me. She turns around. She's weeping. Men, what would you do? What's wrong? You know, your bride's weeping. Is something wrong? Are the kids okay? What happened? You know, in like the last hour, what happened? You know, you just want to know. And she's there weeping, and she's basically says, you know, I'm going to paraphrase, she said, you know, the Lord showed me, I have to release you because God's going to do a work and he's going to do a work in Harrisburg and he, he's going to go before you and, and, and there's going to be revival, you know, all, this is all going to happen. God's going to do something and, and I have to release you. And I look at her and I'm like, well, why didn't God tell me all that? You know, once again, my helpmate, ha- and, I'm, and, and I'm thinking, oh, Lord, that wasn't, you know, th- you start getting overwhelmed, don't you? I don't know, Lord, that seems a little bit overwhelming. But that's the point, is that every step of the way, just like Paul, just like we see here, just as the scriptures testify, when you pray and you ask God, show me your will, O Lord, he will not only show it, but he will confirm it. And then he will turn around. And if, if you pray, even if you don't tell your helpmate at that point, because I'm in the car thinking, how do I tell my wife we have to move? She loves this house. She loves the area. She loves our Calvary Chapel up there. She loves that. This is, this is home. My wife's originally from the Bronx. Getting her upstate was like bringing her to the land of ice and snow in Rochester, New York. How am I going to, you know, how is this going to work? And for me to walk in the house and my bride to go, we have to move. Well, thank you, Jesus. Because there could have been, I wouldn't have had the right words. But he confirmed it. And he confirmed it in her life. He confirmed it in the children's life. He'll do that in your life. Whatever God is showing you, whatever is faithful and true, Whatever the Holy Spirit bears witness to, rest on that. Don't get persuaded by men. You're going to follow God or you're going to follow a man. Follow the living God. Because he's the one that has the capability to speak into your helpmate or into your friend's life or whatever. Don't be Job's counselors. Amen? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean out on your understanding. In all your ways, he will direct your path. Right? What's the point there? We don't know what we don't know. But when we lean on Jesus, when we trust him, he'll create the course for us. We just got to be faithful to step in it. Amen. Let's stand and pray. Jenny, come up. Worship team, Aaron, come on up. We'll have a closing song. Go ahead and read through uh, verses 15 through 40. We'll, con- we'll basically finish off the, ne- the rest of chapter 21 uh, next week as the Lord should lead. There's a lot we need to go into Is Paul is going to be persuaded to make peace with the Jews that are Christian Jews in Israel like that because he's going to be being accused 
of not loving or, or, or of taking the Jews and saying, you need to keep the law and, you know, all this. And look at, I can't wait to study this. Watch Paul's heart. Even with all the accusation, Paul goes out of his way. That's, again, perfect love. Not to offend somebody. He could have turned around and said, man, I'm under the, the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't have to do any of what you're telling me to do. But Paul was more interested in harmony and unity in Christ alone. Think about it. More is caught than taught. Father God, we come before you right now, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your word again, Lord. Thank you for the confirmation. Maybe there, well, not maybe, Lord. I know there's somebody here this morning that needed to hear this. Maybe they've been pay- praying for direction in their lives, Lord. Maybe they've been praying for your will, Lord. You tell us in Romans 12, we can know the perfect will of you, Father. You, you told us that. And if you say it, it's a fact. So God, I pray that as we all stand here this morning, if there's somebody that's been wondering about a change, Lord, or, or maybe there's a health concern, Lord, or maybe there's something going on there that they just, they need to know what to do. They need to know what door to walk through, Lord. God, I pray you continue to speak in their heart that you would confirm this as you seal it in their hearts this morning that you would confirm this on the way, their way home, Lord. You'd confirm it again in their study time. And Lord, if they come out to prayer tonight, you'd confirm it once more. That they know, that they know, that they know that you are the living God and you are the author and finisher of every good work, Lord, in our lives. We give you all the praise, all the glory, all the honor for it, Lord. We don't want to go near or touch your glory. We, it belongs all to you, Father. Jesus, we love you and thank you once again for your unending sacrifice. Real love, Lord. May we too be able to love one another that way. Be reproducers, God. We ask this in your name, Jesus Christ. May you receive our our worship now and may it be just a sweet sound to your ears, Lord. Thank you, almighty God. Amen.
to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. No turning back. No turning back. Lord, we just thank you again, Lord, that you're the one that directs our path, Lord. It's not up to our wisdom, Lord, just as it wasn't up to Paul's wisdom to decide where to go next, Lord. It was the leading of your Holy Spirit in the will of in, in your will, Lord. So I just ask as we go out today, Lord, just fill us with your spirit. Lead us and guide us in every step that we take, Lord. Let us be walking with you. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a great afternoon.